I want you to look at your neighbor real good right now and say, Pastor has a word from God for you. I'm, I'm telling you, God is going to speak to you. And this is a very, very important message. Just say, this is the real deal, folks. Amen, amen, amen. So we're in the series on Gideon. And uh, today I've chosen the uh, topic of stronger together. How many of you know we're stronger together? When one's weak, the others lift up, right? We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. So we're stronger together. Everybody shout stronger together. Okay. Turn in your Bibles. We're going to turn to two places. We're going to turn to, actually, we'll just start in Judges, and then we'll turn to Psalm. But Judges chapter 7, verse 1 through 8. And while you're turning there, if you, on however you do your mobile device, if you have your phone on there, or you've got a paper Bible, however it is, um, you can also do version notes. So version is there. You can take notes as we go. Just hit save at the end, and you'll always be able to refer back to them. Uh, but this is... This is a message on unity, and you you need to catch what God is trying to say to us today, because I'm telling you, um, unity has everything to do with the power of God moving and the Spirit of God moving freely in a church. Judges chapter 7, verse 1 through 8, when you're there, say a good amen. Early in the morning, Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will fend them out for you there. He'll test them there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall uh, not go. The Lord said to Gideon, with, with the, uh, so Gideon took the men, excuse me, down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate there those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that, ha- that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other gir- others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian by, lay below him in that valley. Father, thank you so much for your presence for your word. Thank you for the for the uniting of our brothers and sisters this morning. Thank you for the reminder, God, that we can hope in you and that though we may go through floodwaters, you are there with us and you'll get us through. And now, God, for the next few moments, God, anoint me to preach your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Lord, I'm asking you, Father God, that you would just speak to us, God. Let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray, God, for a great awakening in our nation. From the president all the way down, God, and everyone in between. Bring us back to you, Father God. Bring us back as a nation unified with our eyes toward you. With a great revival through this land. Protect our people, our leaders. And Father, be with us now in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now, if you will, hold your Bibles in the air. Let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word. 
and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. We'll get to Psalm eventually, but uh, unity is defined here as the state of being one or singleness. Tonto and the Lone Ranger were on horses riding through the canyon when all of a sudden on both sides Indian warriors came out fully dressed with their bows and arrows and spears and the Lone Ranger looked at Tonto and he said, what are we going to do? To which Tonto replied, what do you mean we, white man? <laughs> the Bible says here in verse 1 that Gideon got up early and his, and his men got up early with him. They were encouraged by the signs and wonders that they saw in chapter 6 that we had been talking about. And so it encouraged everyone and they went to the well of Herod or the valley of Herod, which is the foundation of trembling is what it means. It's the valley of testing. It signifies to shake or tremble through fear. Gideon and his men would have to fight the age-old battle between fear and anxiety and faith. And I know we keep going back to this, but it seems like God keeps drawing us back and he's drawn Gideon back to the same place. Are you going to believe me? Or are you going to look at your circumstances and shake in fear? And we have to choose that every single day of our lives. Before God brings us to breakthrough and victory, we will all have to master and fight fear and anxiety and worry as to whether or not God's going to do it. See, when God leads you to step out and give your tithes and offerings, fear and anxiety are going to well up in you and make you wonder, will I have enough to live off of? And you might even look at your checkbook and say, man, I just can't do it. And your math doesn't work out. But I don't know how. I still haven't figured out how sometimes I can see it on paper. It doesn't work out. And I've seen so many testimonies. I remember the times where Holly and I were there. This is not going to work, not going to work, not going to work. And we obey God with our tithes and offerings anyways. And I don't know how, but God's math is different than human math. Amen? Somehow or another, God makes it happen. How many have ever experienced that before? And so it, when, when we step out in faith, the fear will try to grip our hearts. When you step out in faith to believe God in your healing, fear and anxiety will well up in you and say, well, you don't want to get disappointed and you're probably going to die, so just don't even hope anymore. When you, when, when you step out in faith to believe God and what God has called you to do, fear and anxiety will rise up in you and say, you can't do it. When you, when you step out in faith and say, man, I'm going to be on the dream team. I'm going to serve. The dream team is anybody who serves in this church. I'm going to serve because I want to serve God in Christ. I want to be part of the team. Fear will rise up with you and say you're not good enough. We will always have to battle fear and anxiety and what God has to say. In verse 2, the Bible, your Bible says, I love this. God's looking down through the banister of heaven, if you will, and he says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Point number one of this message is this. Give God all the glory. God looks down and he says, there's too many of you. See, we're wired to look at things numerically. God is not moved by numbers. 
Impossible situations that you may be faced with right now are opportunities for God to perform miracles. See, we got to quit looking at it like this can't happen, and we need to turn our eyes and say, well, God's got me in a place prime for a miracle. Amen? God specializes in impossible miracles. He said, said, if I let you get victory right now, then Israel's fame will spread and not mine. Now, Israel right now, with 32,000, are about one-sixth the size of the army of the Midianites. But God wanted to teach them dependence on Him and not themselves. His strength does not depend on numbers. Said 1 Samuel 14, 6. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. Let me say that again. Nothing can hinder the Lord. Nothing can hinder the Lord. That means if you've got a relationship problem, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And just like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Amen. If you've got a bad doctor's report, God is able to heal that. If you've got little Johnny on skid row, God's able to bring them back. Amen. If you've got a financial issue, God's able to solve that. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that can hinder the Lord. Here's what Jonathan said. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I want to tell somebody today, don't look at your problem, don't look at your circumstance, don't look at your issues through the eyes of natural man that says, I don't have enough. When you have God, you have more than enough. Amen. That's a good place to clap. When you have God, you have more than enough. God wants us to depend on Him. That's why He said in Zechariah 4, 6, It is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Now, God here is going to teach us something. I want you to check this out. He said, I cannot give you victory with this many people because then you'll boast against me. Boast here is a Hebrew word, pawar, and it means to glorify oneself or to get glory to oneself. He said, if I give you victory while you still think you're strong enough to do it on your own, you'll think you did it and you'll rob my glory. Wow. To become boastful is to take God's glory for yourself and to take credit for something that happened that you think you did that God really did. Let let me just help us all here, Rick. Are you ready? (laughs) There is nothing we can do on our own. Biblically, you cannot take a breath of air without the help of God. Your heart will never beat another beat without the help of Almighty God. There is nothing we ever do, there is nothing we ever can do that we can do by ourselves. Everything we do comes from the strength of Almighty God. God knew Israel would take the credit for the victory and rob them of the glory. When we do this, when we depend on ourselves and we think, well, we'll just go out there and do it, we are robbing God's glory. See, God will not allow us to steal His glory. Stealing God's glory is putting on us what rightfully belongs to God. Check this out. Pawar or boastful literally means to adorn. Everybody say adorn. It means you're going to put on you what rightfully belongs to God. Check this out. Pete, hand me Marshilla's coat right there if you don't mind. Amen. Check this out. If this represents... God's glory, here's what we do. 
We do something in the name of the Lord and God does it. We may lay hands on a brother or sister and they get healed. And all of a sudden we say, hey, man, I must have the gift of healing in me. (laughs) Praise God. And then we go to another brother or sister and we pray and God heals them. If we're not careful, all of a sudden, the glory which belongs to God, all of a sudden, we will adorn for ourselves and think we healed that person. Let me just tell you, you didn't heal anybody. The the Spirit of Almighty God within you healed that person. Anytime somebody gets saved in this church, it wasn't us. We pray, we plant, we water, but it's God that gives the increase. Anytime God heals your marriage, it's God that gets the glory. When your children serve God, it's God that gets the glory. When anything good happens in the, in the name of the Lord, it's God that gets the glory. And I want to tell you, we don't steal God's glory. He said, I cannot give it to you just yet because you'll think you did it. And then you'll take what is only supposed to be worn by me and try to wear it for yourselves. Wow. You know, in Acts 12, we had a wicked king named Herod who tried to take God's glory for himself. And the Bible says he dropped dead and the worms ate him. I'm going to tell you something. We will die spiritually if we try to take God's glory. To God be all the glory. Hallelujah. Just say that with me. To God be all the glory the glory look we can't do anything without him everything we have everything we've ever received is a result of his grace and his goodness if you've been healed it's because of him how many of you received a bona fide miracle of healing raise your hand i want you to look at this look at her matter of fact let's take it one step further i'm standing too because god broke a heel i broke my wrist on a softball field and god healed me i want you right there on the spot listen if you've been Bonafide, absolute miracle of healing from God. I you stand to your feet. I'm standing. I got a question, church. Does God still do miracles? Does God still heal? To God be the glory. Amen. You may be seated. It's God who fights our battles. And listen, when you utilize a backup plan because you get tired of waiting on God and His timing, you steal His glory. That's why we're not going to steal God's glory. We're going to wait for the timing of God, and we're going to be happy, and we're going to be rejoiceful, and we're going to do the ministry that God has called us to right where we're at until God says, okay, it's time to move. Amen? To God be the glory. One of the reasons prayers don't get answered is because we're not focused on the glory of God. Right? So do you want to be happy in your marriage, or do you want God to be glorified through your marriage? Do you want your kids to be nice and just stay out of trouble? Or do you want God to be glorified through your kids? Do you want to just get out of the financial mess you're in and and get some relief? Or do you want God to be glorified in your finances? See, when every area of our life, we want to give God the glory and He knows it, God will begin to move mountains for us. Amen? That's why James said, sometimes when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking out of the lust of your heart. You want it for yourself. When you want to do it for me and glorify me, now we're in business. Somebody shout amen. So verse 3, God is going to do some weeding out. He says, here's what we're going to do. He said, let everybody who's terrified, let everybody who's afraid leave. He is saying, listen, one fearful soldier can infect with fear the whole group. What he is saying is, hey, let's get the fear out of the camp. We need faith on this team. That's what he's saying. 
Deuteronomy 20 and 8 says this. Then the officers will say, also say, is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way. The trouble today is that the fearful and trembling man God cannot use. The trouble today is that the fearful and trembling man insists upon remaining in the army. A decrease that shifts the ranks of the church of men who fear and tremble is a great, a gracious, and a glorious gain. Pride after the battle robs God of His glory. Right? Fear during the battle robs people of the courage and the power that they need. And it has a way of spreading through everyone. We have to destroy fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Amen? Fear and faith cannot exist together for very long. Uh, James 1, 6 through 8. Now, this is a great little passage on doubt. And I don't, I don't have time. to. The whole message could be preached here. But when you ask, here's what James says. You must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He tells us. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Leave this up for a second. The word doubt here is diakorio, which means to oppose, to dispute, to contend, to separate oneself in a hostile spirit, to discriminate, to separate yourself from God and His Word in hostility. To oppose God is what it's saying. When we doubt what God says in His Word, it's saying we are hostily opposing Him. Doubt's a serious thing. We've got to get in the Word of God and realize what God says is true. How many of you were raising kids and you gave them a promise and they started doubting and it irritated you? Anybody? And you got, hey, I told you we we're going to do this. And I know you, you know, let's just stop this. Stuff. How do you think God feels? How do you think God feels when he's never told a lie? How do you think God feels when he's never broke a promise? How do you think God feels when, when almighty God, who created the heavens and earth and everything we have, gives us a promise and us, his little creation says, I don't believe it. Wow. Either fear will conquer faith and will quit, or faith will conquer fear and we will triumph. The choice is ours. John Wesley may have been thinking of Gideon's army when he said this. Give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God and I'll shake the gates of hell. Wow. Verse 4, God says after 22,000 leave, he says, there's still too many. You'll still think you did it. He says, let's dwindle this thing down. He says, you guys head out to the watering hole. And he said, those that get down on all fours and put their mouth to the river, the lake, and they drink, he said, they're out. But the ones who kneel down, and they keep their weapon in their hand, and they scoop water and they drink, he said, those are the ones we keep. Why? Because the ones who put their hands and their knees down and their head down and drink, he said, those are the ones that take their eyes off of their leader. They take their eyes off the enemy. They lay their weapons down, and they're consumed with themselves. He said, what I'm after is the ones who will kneel down and they'll keep their weapon in their hand. They'll get the water in their hands and they'll drink. 
but they never keep their eyes off their leader. They never take their eyes off the enemy. They're on guard at all times. And I want to tell you something. There is something to be said about men and women of God in God's house that will keep their eyes on the leader, Jesus Christ. They'll keep their eyes on the Word of God. They'll keep their eyes on what God has called us to do. And it's very easy to get sidetracked. It is very easy to just... To just get sidetracked with our own problems. We must keep our eyes on the enemy. Keep our, he said be, be, we, got, we got to be vigilant. Because our adversary is out there roaring like a, like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. We got to keep our eyes on the people that are lost. Look the people that bent down and they drank the water. Uh, without paying attention to their surroundings. Are the people where churches become about themselves. And the other people are the ones that say hey man I recognize something. I got the light of the gospel in me. I am called to win people to Jesus Christ and to share the gospel. And I'm on the team to rescue. Everybody close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to visualize this. You're, you're a Coast Guard boat commander. Everybody close your eyes and just think. You're on the base with your team of people. And, the, and you're standing out looking over the sea. And you got binoculars in your eyes. And you're, you're just searching, just taking a look. All of a sudden, about a mile out, you see, you see a capsized boat. And you see some people flailing their arms. And it's obvious they're in, they're in trouble. Man, you rally the troops. Get on the boat. We got to go rescue some people. On your way out, about a half a mile out, the engine stops and the boat starts taking on water. You get on the radio and you say, Mayday, Mayday. Mayday, Mayday, we're taking on water. We're taking on water. And you and your men get buckets and you're, you're bailing water out. Now everybody open your eyes. Look at me. Where were your eyes right then? Your eyes were on you bailing water out of your boat. And you have forgotten the people that are drowning. And that's the problem in God's church when the rescuers need rescuing. That's the problem when God's people's eyes are on their own self and their own problems. And they forget there's a dead and dying world dying and going to hell. And they're just the people that get down on their hands and knees. And they drink water and they lose sight of why we're here in this place. And that is to see people saved. We must keep our eyes on the fact of connecting people to Jesus Christ and to one another. Because it's not about me. Poke your neighbor and say it's not about me. Everybody say Amen. Amen. Praise God. What God was going to do here in verse 2 was, in point number 2, is to pass God's test. Everybody say, pass God's test. To test them here means to smelt, to refine, or to test. The word was used by refining metals, by removing the, the separating the dross from the pure ore. Basically, God was going to test and purge them. We never know when God is testing us in ordinary circumstances. There's been more than one perspective person that was about to be hired and the boss took them to lunch and they did or said something at lunch that canned them and they didn't even know it. One preacher many years ago was preaching at a church and he decided his text would be thou shalt not steal so he did and, and he preached a message with the next morning he got on the bus he gave a dollar the lady gave him change he went to the back and he sat down he began to count the change he realized he had 10 cents too much a dime too much 
He thought, well, the bus company will never miss it. And then he said, no, what am I saying? He said, I can't. This doesn't belong to me. I'm not taking something that doesn't belong to me. He walked up to the lady. He said, here. Uh, he said, you gave me too much change. And to his shock and surprise, she said, you're right. I gave you a dime too much. She said, I was at the church last night and heard you preach. She said, and I gave you a dime too much to see what you do. And I saw you counting it. And she said, if you had not brought me the 10 cents, she said, I would have never had confidence in the church or preaching ever again. You never know what God is doing to test us. Someone say a good amen. So verse 5 and 8, you find there that he's got him kneeling. Here's the question. Will you keep your eye on God and his word? Will you keep your eye on God's direction, God's vision, what God is trying to do? Will you keep your eye on the enemy and the vision before us? See, what he was doing was, and point number three, and this is where the last point is, is we are to be unified in the church. This is where I need you to sit up. I need you to give me the next few minutes and listen to me with all my heart. You've got to hear what I'm going to say. We have got to be unified in the church. One of the purposes of God weaning them out was, he said, I got to get people that have the same vision going the same direction so I can move. Unity is imperative in the kingdom of God. Psalm 133 is only three verses, but it's one of the most powerful unity books in the entire Bible. Psalm 133. In verse 1, it says, Behold. Behold means it's a term of, hey, everyone, look. It's like the little kid that says, Mom, Dad, look at me, look at me. It's, it's, a, it's God saying, hey, I need everybody's attention. How good. Good here. Good means uh, good and agreeable, not by man's definition of good, but by God's. Genesis 1 and 2, he saw everything he created, and it was good. He said, how good and how pleasant. Everybody say pleasant. That's delightful and that's sweet. So how good by God's definition of good and how sweet and how pleasant it is. Watch this. For brothers, for people in the church to dwell together in what? Unity. Explanation point. See, it's not only speaking of not quarreling and devouring one another. But it's actually referring to delighting in one another. That we actually like, like each other. Amen? Unity is the Hebrew word yachad, which means a unit, unitedly, alike and together. To become one, to be joined, to be united. Somebody shout amen. I'm going to show you two quick videos right here. One is of a group of people, the Chinese army that are perfectly in unity, and this is what we as a church are supposed to look like. Would you play that video? perfection. Do you know that's what God says I want out of my church? I don't want 10 people with visions going all 10 different directions in the name of the Lord. I want a marching and perfect step in unity to my vision, my call, and what I've asked them to do. 
And instead, what I find in the church, and especially in America, looks a little bit more like the Keystone Cops. Everyone take a look. laugh and we have fun with the old Keystone cops and all, but I, I have a question. Which one are we? Which one is Bridge of Hope? Which one does God want us to be? See, anytime we want to start doing things our way, anytime we want to start going our own direction, we start pulling away and we create mass confusion like the Keystone cops. God has said, I have a vision, I have a direction, I have a roadmap in the Bible, and if you'll just stick to that, watch what I will do. Hallelujah. In the Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change the television channel. And Linus said, man, what makes you think you can walk in here just like this and just take over? She said, these five fingers. She said, individually, they ain't much. She said, but when I curl them up, into a unit like this. They are a weapon that is a terror to behold. Linus said, which channel would you like it on? And as he walked away, he looked at his hand and he said, why can't you guys get unified like that? You know, we laugh and all that, but what would happen if all of us meshed together in one mind and one accord for what God has called us to do to connect people to Jesus Christ and to one another? What could God do? Wow. Here's what Jesus said. John 17, 20 through 23. You got to hear this. John 17, 20 through 23. My prayer, this is Jesus' prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me, Christians, through their message that all of them. Everybody say all. Poke your neighbor and say, are you an all? Amen. You are an all. That all of them may be what? That all of them may go their own direction. That all of them may do what they think is best. No. That all of them may be, hold your finger up and say one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. In other words, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity gets people saved. Because it glorifies Jesus. Watch what the next verse says. I have given them the glory. My, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Go on to the next verse 22 and 23. I have given them the glory that you, that you gave me. That they may be. Hold your finger up. As we are. Who's one? Jesus and the Father. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete. Then the world, when we are unified, then the world around us, Deer Park, Kenwood, Silverton, Blue Ash, all the areas around, all of Cincinnati will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. So in Psalm 133 verse 2, it says this. The anointing, the unity is like the precious oil. Everybody say precious oil. 
Oil it represents, uh, it's, it's, it means oil riches. It represents the anointing. It was poured on the head of the high priest, and there were four uh, of the best spices. And the anointing oil was commonly uh, uh, used at joyous and festive times. So it became an emblem of joy and celebration and happiness and beautifulness. Watch this. The unity is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. Man, I love this. When the church gets unified, oh, you're going to love this, God will pour out on us joy like we've never seen. Oh, I'm going to take it. Look at what Hebrews 1.9 says. Check this out. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. How many of you want that kind of joy? He says here in Nehemiah 8.10 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the next time you want to hold a grudge against your brother or sister, the next time you want to hold on to unforgiveness, the next time you want to get the phone and gossip and run them down, know this, that you're costing all of us the joy we could be walking in. Why should I not gossip on the phone? Because you're costing us joy. You'll keep us all from the unhindered joy of the Lord. The unity will bring the joy. Somebody shout amen. So in essence, watch this. Are you ready? <laughs> we control the joy of the Lord in our church and our lives by how we walk in unity. So if you say, I wished I had a little more joy in my life, what we need to do is go back to the prayer closet and say, am I walking in unity? I wished I had some joy in my home. Are you and your spouse in unity? I wish I, wish I just had more joy. I want to tell you, I think our church ought to be the most joy-filled church in the world. We ought to be the most joy-filled people in this whole area. But you know what? It won't happen until we get in unity. The oil poured down Aaron's head and it flowed down his beard and shoulders and, and, and chest all the way to the hem of his garment. But don't lose this fact. The oil went past the breastplate that had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Why is that important? The oil symbolized the unity of the nation in worship under their consecrated priests. The oil of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the unity of our worship, hallelujah, under our consecrated priest, Jesus Christ. As the oil consecrated Aaron, so the unity of worshipers will consecrate the nation unto God. It's so important. Have you ever thought that a hundred pianos tuned to the same fork are actually tuned to one another? What do you mean by that? You see, they're, they're, they're in one accord by being tuned, not to each other, by, by a greater standard than themselves. So watch this. When you get a hundred worshipers in here, 150 worshipers, 10,000, the numbers don't matter. And they're all tuned to Jesus Christ. And their eyes are on the Lord. And they're tuned to His presence. We are automatically tuned to one another, but not individually, by a much greater standard, and that's the presence of God. 
Why is it important, Pastor, that I come in and I, I sing? Just sing your songs, let me sit down and enjoy the message. Because when your eyes are on the Lord and you're worshiping and you're singing and you're giving your all to Him and you come in tune with Him, He tunes us all together and we're unified. Can't you see how important this is? It's like two married people. You go after God, Mike Clefane goes after God, Naomi goes after God. We think it goes like this. It doesn't. Mike goes after God, Naomi does. Mike does, Naomi does, Mike does. What's happening to them? They're, as they're being in tune to God, God's tuning them to one another. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far to say, if you're having severe marital problems, it's because you're not tuning to God. When you tune to God, God will tune you together. Wow. When Jesus is the absolute most important thing in our church, he will tune us all together. Somebody say amen. I'm not preaching the Koran today. This is the Bible. Praise God. Psalm 133.3. You're about to shout. Are you ready? I'm telling you, you're about to shout. you you got to hear this. Unity is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Man, for there the Lord commanded. I want you to hear the authority in that. Commanded the blessing life forevermore. So, watch this. The Jordanian rift starts at Mount Hermon. We leave in 22 days, those of us going to Israel. And when we go, I'm going to take them up to Caesarea Philippi, way on the north end, and tell Dan, way far north up by Damascus. And there they're going to be able to see Mount Hermon, way far north. It's about 9,000 feet in the air. It's very tall. There's usually snow on it all year long. There will be when we're there. And what happens is the dew comes down from there, and it starts in the Jordan River, and then it flows from there. I'm going to show you that's where the Jordan River actually starts from those springs. It's crystal clear. It's pure. And then what it does, it goes all the way to the Dead Sea, which is 1,200 feet below sea level, the lowest place on earth. So 9,000 feet, so it drops over 10,000 feet. It descends. The Jordan literally means the descender because the water descends. Why am I telling you all this? Because Psalm 133 says the unity is like the dew of Mount Hermon. It means it's a starting point. And at Mount Hermon, the water is crystal clear. It's a starting point. Everybody say unity is a starting point. You're going, yeah, I'm telling you about to shout here in a minute. Unity is the starting point of ministry. It falls, the Bible says, all the way to the hills of Zion. It speaks to the far-reaching capabilities of what happens when we get unified under the banner of God. So watch this. There are two spots that they think Jesus may have been transfigured. Most theologians at this point in time and historians believe it was Mount Hermon because it's up by Caesarea Philippi and it fits the, it's right there in the same time frame. So Jesus, you, I'm telling you, watch this. Jesus was transfigured at the starting point of unity. Jesus will be transfigured in this church at the starting point of, of unity. Jesus came down in all his glory... And let his three disciples who are unified with him see him in all his real glory when there was unity at the starting point. If we want to see the glory of Jesus Christ in this church, we'll get in unity and we will because it's the starting point. Somebody shout amen. 
We will see the glory of Jesus Christ in our church when we are in unity. Do you want to see the glory of Jesus in your marriage? Get in unity. Do you want to see the glory of Jesus in your home? Get in unity. How many of you want to see the glory of Jesus transfigured in our midst? Woo! I don't know about you. I'm not here to just do some mamby-pamby church service. I don't come in here like I'm rolling dice at a craps table hoping God shows up. I don't pray and seek God all week long and fast and pray and study. I don't come in here early on Sunday and pray and seek God. I don't, I don't stay in an in a, in a, in a air of preparation all week long just to come in here, sing a few songs, preach a little message, and everybody go home and pat me on the back and say, oh, good sermon, Pastor. No, man, I, I do that all week because I want to see Jesus transfigured in here. And every time somebody gets saved, he has transfigured who he was in their eyes. Woo! I want to see the glory of God. And I don't want to be a hindrance to the glory of God. I want to be in unity for that. Somebody shout amen. He said, I'm going to command. Everybody say command. I just love that. Just hold your fist out and say command. He said, when you guys decide to get in unity... I will command the blessing of life forevermore. Wow. Our unity will cause him to command it. People will get saved. Life forevermore, that's salvation. Listen, our unity will make it hard for people to go to hell. Our unity will cause people to not be able to resist Jesus. Our unity will release the life of Jesus Christ. And people will be born again and saved. Oh, glory to God. And I know how the devil works. Listen, here's how the devil works. He's going he's gonna to let something come up this week after a message like this. And you're going to be tempted to, to hold on a little something towards somebody. You just remember if you do, you're causing the transfiguration of Jesus' life forevermore to stop flowing in our church the answer is up to us God said it's your choice you walk in unity I'll command it wow wow look we're all different we all have different personalities gifts and all that but when we come together in unity God pulls us together in the Spanish Pyrenees there is found a magnificently beautiful but elusive mountain goat that stays out of the shooting range of hunters. Why? Because it has a companion, a little goat, that walks along with it and has better eyesight and alerts it to the danger and they get out. Check that. Let me tell you how unity works in nature. The rhinoceros has terrible eyesight. It can't hardly see at all. And it has, it has ticks all over its body, all over its tough hide. But there's a little bird that loves these ticks. And this little bird, you've probably seen on TV, they ride on the rhinoceros. Have you ever wondered, you say, why is that little bird on that rhino? That little bird is feasting. He's eating ticks left and right. He's having a good time. But here's how God works. The rhinoceros can't see. The little bird can see like an eagle. 
And so that little bird is feasting, and it looks up, and all of a sudden it says, hmm, that don't look right to me. And it alerts by a sound, and the rhino can communicate and say, hmm, he don't like what he sees. I better go this way. And that little bird will say, tweet, tweet. And all of a sudden, that big old rhino is going, tweet, 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 tweet. And that rhino is going, that rhino said, whoa, what's up? And if the little bird could talk rhino, he'd say, dummy, there's about 20 crocodiles right in front of you. Turn left. They work together. One more example. The honey badger, the retail, the, the actual honey badger, hangs out with a little bird. It's the little honey guide bird. Here's the cool part. The little honey guide bird can see the honey, the beehives from way off. The honey badger can't see that. So the little bird starts it again. Tweet, 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 tweet. And the honey badger's like, I know that sound. that? I think I see it. Oh, I see it. There's the honey. And the little bird can't get in the beehive. The little bird stops without it. But the honey badger can't see it. So the little bird tweet tweets. The honey badger says, I got my eye on it. We got this. Don't worry about it. He climbs up, and his powerful claws rip it to pieces, and they both feast because they work together in unity. What would happen if all of us, with our different gifts, our different talents, our different abilities, were to all work together and say, hey, man, uh, tweet, tweet. And so I say, I hear you. We got this. We're going to work together. And when we work together, we're going to all feast. Hallelujah. We're going to see cells saved by the droves, by the dozens, by the hundreds. We're going to see marriages restored. We're going to see lives put back together. Oh, it's not big I and little you. It's all big us. Whoa. One more example. It's a short video. Check out the 2,000 drummers at the 2008 Olympics, the Chinese. Check out. The unity of these guys. Watch this. It's amazing. 2,000. Gideon only defeats the enemy with a unified army. Vesta Kelly said it this way, Snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things, but just look at what they can do when they stick together. Wow. How many of you want to be unified? How many of you want to lay aside your own thoughts and agendas and say, okay, God, put us in one mind and one accord? Here's what we're going to do for prayer. We're going to sing something. But I want you to stand to your feet if, we, if you will. I'd like for you to close your eyes for just a second. Before we go any further in this service, I have a question for you. Nobody looking around. If you're in here and you say, I do not know Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I don't have that life forevermore. I need, I want to be in a relationship with Him. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Him. I want Him to change my life. I want to be born again as you talk about, Pastor. If that's you, I'd like for you to raise your hand. Or if maybe you have and you're not anywhere close to where you need to be, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Is there anybody? I just want to invite you.
here's what we'll do. And, and you don't have to, if you get saved, just all you got to do is ask Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. Just ask him to come to your life. Listen, you're in here. Here's what I want to do. I want to do this a little differently. Normally, we would pair up with two or three. Here's what I would like for you to do. I, and I know this may take a second. They'll start singing. I want you to get together and join as many hands as you can. Like, we can't do the whole theater. But, you know, find five or six people from one row to the back and just join hands. And we're, I want to bless you with a unified prayer. And then I want you to pray together while they sing. Can we do that? Can you just kind of move around? And uh, some of you go in the other row and we'll just kind of face each other. We're going to pray to be unified today. Amen. I want you to join hands. Just, just, just move around a little bit and join some hands together. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You've got hands joined together. Those of you up here, I want you to join hands as well. We're going to join. I want to just pray a blessing over you, and then we'll pray while they sing. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I, I bless our church to be unified because it is there that you command the blessing life forevermore. Lord, we choose to put your agenda above ours. We choose to talk good about our brothers and our sisters and to pray for them. We choose to reject the thoughts of the enemy. We choose to walk away from disunification. And we choose to walk in unity in the name of Jesus. Bless us now to be a unified body. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to keep praying. Pray for one another. Pray for unity in their marriage. Pray for unity in their family. Pray for unity in our church while they sing this song. Hallelujah.